As a woman obsessed by trinkets and souvenirs and birds, well, pigeons to be more precise, I am very excited to be standing in the bustling Carnaby Street, about to head into We Built This City's pop-up store. I cannot wait to meet the lady who I think is the pioneer of the modern-day souvenir, Alice Mayer. My coffee's in hand, there's a promise of pastries, and over 250 London-based artists, designers and makers are calling my name. Excited is an understatement. I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I'm the founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, and I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. I believe that having a business, doing what you love, is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everybody start theirs. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me, and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown Hi Alice, it's so wonderful to finally meet you in your incredible shop in Carnaby Street. I actually came here for the first time a few years ago at Christmas and slightly became obsessed. I remember going home on the train with a bag full of your flocked pigeons, getting some funny looks, but these pigeons are still pride of place in my house. So it's so wonderful for you to allow me to come in. You've shown me around. It is breathtaking because I haven't been to this spot which is your new premises when did you move in well first of all thank you so much for being here and yeah welcome to our latest edition of we built the city at number 57 um we moved in I think I keep saying it's our new shop but actually it's about nearly six months ago now so we moved in the middle of summer so yeah so here we are and across three floors and it feels like we finally kind of come home actually and it's uh it's it's sort of like running a mini department store for creativity which yeah has its challenges but is also an amazing thing to be able to offer well when we were walking up and down the stairs in your beautiful kimono <laughs> I was like you're like the queen of art coming up and down the stairs and I was like what does it feel like to have stairs you yes. know it's so grown yeah. up and having a department store so yeah. let's begin I'd love to start by hearing a bit about your background and your journey leading up to founding your business yeah okay so do you, should we start with childhood yes please. okay that's exactly where um, I'd love to start. so I always start with I was born into a family of adults basically because my mum had me quite late and we, we're not late now by today's standards but yeah she was 38 and my brothers were already sort of 10 and 12 and my family are um just the most wonderful human beings and they're all super creative and my parents are actually jazz musicians and my brothers are also sort of musicians but have jobs on the side that's kind of been the whole um, I'm really the black sheep having done this I don't know something about actually now I realize like maybe on some occasions I I wasn't always allowed to totally be the child so I was always trying to get to be the adult and wanted to go out into the bigger wider world and um you were in a hurry I was in a hurry yeah and looking back now 
I was also, though, really supported by them, I suppose, to just go and be whoever I wanted to be. There was no, you must go and be a lawyer or a doctor or anything like that. It was just uh, go out and find what makes you happy because ultimately our house was just full constantly of music and arty people and creative types. And um, so, yeah, so childhood was really happy. I was uh, brought up in Hampton. So weekends were always spent coming up to London. We then moved when I was 13, actually, and I was talking about this the other day, to Hampton Court, like near, near quite not obviously in the palace, but near, <laughs> nearby the palace. And actually then I spent my teenage years actually being... Um, on weekends kind of surrounded by tourists and I was sort of I think picking up at that point a kind of a an excitement and a buzz in a place where tourists come every single day and they used to pile off that train every day and and go and look at all the shops and the you know the pubs and everything around so I think yeah I think that was actually quite a a definitive experience I suppose in in my life um leading up to the business I've now founded you were connecting the dots it's interesting Mm. isn't it when you have a moment in time to go my god is that is that where that whole tourist thing came in now touching on what you were doing just before this Mm. you were in PR is that right yeah so I, I had a really happy school life um I wasn't particularly academic but um, managed to get to university. I did philosophy, so I had no particularly straight career path. But I was just desperate. By university, I was just literally gagging to get out into the wider world. And um, I did this kind of process of elimination where I just went through loads of different jobs, as many as I could in about a year and a half of coming out of uni, and realised that PR was kind of where... I mean, I I literally did, like, TV, events, everything. And I realised that PR was kind of all of those things in one. So, um, So I did that for four years at Havas. And I just worked on lots of different clients. and But really, actually, I was given some great clients along the way. And some of them were uh, like the Arts Council England, quite a few in music and entertainment. And I just started to, through that, meet artists, understand a bit more about the industry. But also, I think in PR, what you get is a kind of a... Oh, it's a, it's like a look. I always remember a guy used to say to me, it's a playground, Alice. He's like, it's a playground because you could go and look into all these different businesses, see how they run, you know, see what kind of coverage, would, what, they, what it would produce for them. But after four years of it, I also then felt like it was, I was like, no, I now need to get in and get my hands dirty. And like, it, this isn't enough just to just to kind of get them in the newspapers. So yeah. So that- and then <laughs> you were saying before the, um, we went on air as a say, um, sort of, um, we, um, you were saying that you worked for Pip, Jameson yeah. and the Dots. And there was a moment there that you realised that you were doing something for her, weren't you? Tell me that story. Yeah, so after leaving PR, then I ended up going into a couple of different startups. And actually, at that time, we were, I was very influenced by Norton High Street because you were, you were doing your thing at that point. And then I ended up working with Pip for 18 months before I set up We Built the City. And it was, I mean, she is a force of nature. I know you've had her on this podcast. Um, she's just such a wonderful and positive, amazing human being. And she really inspired me what you could do on a shoestring with a great team of people and how much you need passion and vision and drive to push that thing through into the world and I felt like I had a couple of those qualities and I helped her launch the dots in London um, and there was a big launch due and it was great and it was really successful loads of people came and then the next morning I woke up and I just felt completely and utterly broken I felt really and and I've, I've been honest with her about this like I felt really quite depressed actually and I didn't know why I sat in a chair for probably about two hours just sobbing and I didn't know why and I was like well it went really well last night like this was so great and then I just suddenly it suddenly dawned on me I was like and a a little voice came in and said you can't keep giving your energy to someone else's idea like it's time it's time for you to now take um take the reins and and push something through yourself so I'd been brewing I'd 
I didn't know what the idea would be, but I knew that my mission in life was to bring art and design to the masses. How do you make art and design more accessible so that artists can just create great work and they don't have to turn into the business person and they don't have to be a marketer themselves? Because as we know, like artists are great at what they do, but they're not always great at selling mm-hmm. their own work. Yes. It's like me trying to sell my skills. You know, it's, we're all, we all go a bit inward. Um, but I just remember seeing all of this amazing work and so much of it inspired by London, inspired by the city that these artists worked in and it was actually at the time of um, it was just post the Olympics so we'd become I remember reading the Evening Standard like there was an article that said we'd become the most visited city on the planet after the Olympics in about 2013 and I just felt like what a shame that there's all these amazing creatives in London. They're all squirreled away in these little studios. They're, you know, they're, they're, basements, they're, underground. Absolutely, yeah. And and they're producing this amazing work. And yet all these millions of people are coming into London and most of them are just getting, they're going to the West End, getting a bit lost, you know, walking around and going home. And they're not making it to Peckham. They're not making it to Walthamstow. They're not making it to Hackney, where, you know, where all these artists actually reside. So my mission then became about how can I bring that community into the heart of London where they are literally unmissable. So you cannot walk past and not go into a shop. You know, it was that kind of mission. Obviously, <laughs> that was a mission and not the reality because that was a whole, a whole you know, there's sort of a, a whole year's worth in, in how that came to being. <laughs> yeah. But the mission was Wasn't there. as easy yeah. as that sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then I, you were saying that then there was this moment, it was you getting the shop. Mm. That made you say, right, I better get on with this. Is that right? Well, it you was, told Pip. So I told Pip that I didn't tell her that immediately that, you know, I'm off because I just, you know, we, it, I was a freelancer, so it was all fine. But I also knew that I needed to create a bit of space as well. So I think I went down to sort of three days a week and I, because I, I really believe in that, like space is the thing that allows the, the ideas to come and the vision to come. I had a notebook and I remember for a couple of months just knowing what my mission was, but not, but thinking like, how am I going to get that into something that works? And it was, it was one day I was on a bus in London and I just went past a, uh, a standard, let's say, souvenir store in London. And I looked in and I just looked at it and thought, gosh, all of that is so outdated. It's cliched. It's unsustainable. It's, it's not made awful. here. It's really bad. And I looked at all these people going in thinking, oh my God, they don't really even want to go in there, but it's the only thing on offer. So I sort of, I saw this gap in the market. And then I did a weird thing where I was still working for Pip. I think I was working for... Uh, creative united as well at the time and i would just spend weekends basically standing outside those stores and just sort of observing and watching what people were doing and what they were buying and it was really when i saw that souvenir store that i realized that's the way to make this accessible that's the banner across the door that will allow people in because it's about allowing i think with art and design it can be very elitist you know the white gallery space is very off-putting for a lot of people so i was like how can we do this in a really super democratic way can we do it with a sense of humor because that's also what britain's known for also beyond tourists i know that londoners love london and they love it for so many different reasons and it means so much to them for so many different in so many different ways so i kind of felt one minute we've got a gap in the market for a better souvenir we've also got a gap in the market for Londoners to come and actually buy something about their city that they truly love as well and I sort of saw these two audiences coming together but then the hardest bit was how do I get them into the West End with no money I had you know I had the experience of working with startups but I didn't have a team I didn't you know and I was just thinking oh I don't actually know whether this is even possible because 
weirdly from PR days, the one thing I didn't want to do was put it down a back street and then spend my entire life marketing it because I felt like that's going to take all my energy and probably all my money. Um, Very smart. And I was like, can I get this onto a street where I don't have to worry about that? I just have organic footfall so we can get on with doing, you know, the other, the other more important stuff. So that's when I set about, I mean, what did I do? I just, I, I emailed every landlord in London. I did the classic <laughs> ringing. I was ringing up um, numbers on, you know, on for, um, lettings boards all over Covent Garden. And I got it down to Covent Garden and Carnby, but I didn't think for a minute that that was actually possible, yeah, like yeah. at all. And then one day I got an email back, just finally. And, and a woman said from, from our landlord here on Carnaby, she just said, Oh, for God's sake, she wrote an email. She was like, I've heard your name from so many people and I've had so many emails <laughs> off you. She was like, just come in. And I was like, okay, doors open. I've got, to, I've got to take this opportunity with you know both hands. And it's quite a big idea, actually, to try and explain to somebody, especially when you haven't done it and it yeah. doesn't exist and you don't know whether any of the artists are going to sign up to it. And, you know, I didn't have anything. So all I had was a keynote presentation. I'd had a logo. I'd come up with a name and the name is so important for us because it's really about well three things really it's it's my belief that creative communities are the most valuable thing a city has and that we have to champion them and that they really do build cities of you know of of interest and and this is why people come here in their droves I picked it because also it's a song that a lot of people know who don't have English as a first language uh, and we do get sung it a lot um, every day Um, (laughs) and make you sing it at the end yes exactly yeah and generally I just um, I really just wanted to uh, to to bring something oh I can't remember yeah, don't worry. Third thing. I love it. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm always admiring people. I'm sure anyone listening, when you, you go, I have three things. I have five things. things. And I'm like, how do you do that before you even know your things? Your first two were fantastic. Anyway, first two, well, yeah. what I'm, I just think this whole thing is a genius idea. When I first came to learn about it and the concept of the store, I just it's one of those things, a bit like not in the high street. I couldn't believe someone hadn't thought of it in a way. Yeah, yeah And we're, we're, you know, we're <laughs> inbuilt to collect souvenirs. We've been doing it since we decorated our caves. And as someone who loves a keepsake and very much an emotional shopper, I think I might be your target demographic. I've already, <laughs> right next to us, I've already got a pile building up yeah, of the things I'm um, that, yeah. that I'm going to buy. I went to Edinburgh recently and came back with the most beautiful array of souvenirs, including a tartan cow's head, lots of other goodies made by local makers Mm. why would I ever buy the sort of tacky key ring Mm, mm. and especially when we're moving away from the landfill goods mass production in China when you started you mentioned that idea of you just went out there you knew you had a vision don't worry that you almost don't know what form it's going to take the most important thing was the vision, right? Yes, yeah, because yeah. actually the vision is yeah. what makes you stand out. Yeah. The form it will take will almost come. Yeah. You know, yeah. because that's you, the bit you don't really You don't quite them. know what yeah. it is. Yeah. But the most important thing, the thing of value, mm. it is actually the wealth and the strength of the idea. Yeah. And yeah. I think that a lot of us worry about how it will be executed. And I think of mm. course that's incredibly important. But never underestimate the genius of the idea. And so it was interesting that you ended up being a shop. That's what you wanted to do, a physical place. Yeah, so I I was told a lot when I had the idea and I told everyone the idea for six months. I don't believe in that thing where you shouldn't tell people because I don't, I don't think anyone's ever going to do your idea like you're going to do it. Um, but everyone said, oh, for God's sake, what, don't do don't do physical. Like it's so costly and how are you going to find the money? And you should just do online because everyone's doing online. But my belief was... 
No, this is a souvenir is something that you experience in the moment. It's tangible. It, you have to come in and experience that as part of your trip. It just didn't make sense to me to be online first and then maybe do, you know, shops later. And talking about the creative vision, like I remember when the name had come and I remember sitting on the tube and I just got this unbelievable rush inside my body about this thing and I could see it and it was like fireworks going off in my head and I was just like oh my god I'm so excited I'm so excited to do this and I think that that was the moment I mean you know I'm still here five years on and it's been unbelievably difficult times but that was so important that moment because that's it felt like that's when something was born Um, and I think that's the thing that when you then go into the meeting with the landlord or whoever else you've got to convince it's that that that, that is rushing through your body essentially it's that light bulb moment and that's almost what I want to get across is that vision is so so important and that light bulb moment will come don't force it you'll know when it's happening yeah yeah you'll oh, know you when totally it's happening do. and it's a bit it, like when you fall in love it's yes. the same it's like it's funny when I was in the meeting um pitching it for the first time with just my logo and the you know and the presentation um I remember having this quite strange actually out of body experience where I sort of I know this is gonna sound a bit odd but I sort of went I went up into the ceiling as it were and I looked down and I remember her saying to me okay, we love this. Um, This is going to happen. You probably don't think that you're going to be on Carnaby, but actually we only think this works on Carnaby. And can you do it in the next three weeks? And that was like a moment of just, oh, okay, my whole life is about to change. But, (laughs) But also I feel like because of the level of passion and excitement I had for the idea, it was in direct proportion to how quickly it then came about. I mean, I literally had three weeks to do the whole thing, which is the, you know... Tell me, this is the, you know, what's coming across in this interview already is that beautifulness, I feel, when founders and entrepreneurs and light bulb moments and vision and then universe comes mixing Mm, in and suddenly, lovely bit, because the universe tries to enable you Mm, to do it because pretty much, I've got tingles even saying it, yeah, yeah. Lots of people listening are going to be thinking about the cost, right? Because Carnaby Street, running shops, physical shops, I know from first-hand experience mm. that this is not a money-making, well, certainly ours isn't. Mm. We use it mm. as more of a marketing yes. tool. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me, what advice would you give to fellow small businesses? Because a lot of them actually, I hope I've had something to do with it. You know, I'm seeing more and more physical spaces popping Mm, up. mm. Tell me what advice you might give people who are thinking about this. Well, I mean, I went in totally blind. You know, had I known what I was about to get into, I probably would never have done it. Um, I think that I was at a point in my life where I could just throw everything in and hope for the best. But also, I think right now people are quite down generally on retail and what's happening on the high street and the fact that it's all changing I think it poses one of the most amazing opportunities for small businesses and independents that we've ever had and actually pop-ups were massive weren't they like 10 years ago they were you know they were but but really now is that now is the chance now is the time to literally you know find a way to a landlord and sit there and explain that when they have empty units which they're going to have because it's going to be very fluid for the next couple of years that you know that that you are the person to take that unit and I think that 
where you have that conversation, there is always a level of negotiation about what you pay. And so as long as you make sure that you're going into something that is sustainable and that you're, you know, I mean, that's very hard to work out. That just depends on your product. And um, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard formula. But you will get a gut feel. And actually, I've made mistakes along the way. We did a uh, we did a pop up in Camden actually years ago. And I just I was so overwhelmed at that point. I didn't do the classic footfall test. So like I always remember Russell Norman at the restaurant guy. He was always saying like before you ever take on a space, make sure you stand outside. And if a thousand people don't walk past in the first hour, don't take it. I mean, that was his formula. It doesn't have to be yours. It's really easy to kid yourself in certain because you get excited. Mm. Someone's offering you mm. space. But I think, yeah, trying to just really look and feel and lurk. That's what I used to do. I just used to lurk around shops. But you can you you, you know what's going to happen. You the don't, lurking formula. The, yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> it is such a good one. Oh, on. my goodness. You know, you know, uh, we have a shop in St. Margaret's. My goodness, we do not have a thousand people in an hour uh, passing us. No. But the, and the, and that was, it, yeah. no, but I didn't yeah. do the lurking formula. Mm, and mm, I was mm. in hell bent on bringing something to life and we needed to make it work. Yeah, and yeah. we have a sort of different look at it. But it you have to do it, even if it's the best property it's so convenient. Mm. Whatever those things mm. are, it's mm. practically mm. free. Yeah. Unless yeah. you do the lurk test. Yeah, yeah. Do not kid yourself. We're proud to partner with NatWest. They support small businesses in so many ways. Just one of these ways is through Backer Business. This programme will match fund up to a million pounds a year, creating hundreds of successful applicants when they crowdfund through Backer Business. Listen to the end of this podcast to find out more. With a continued commitment to small businesses, NatWest, in a world first, give away the rest of this ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your business to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner. Hi, my name's Shagan, founder of The Gym Kitchen. The Gym Kitchen was born out of my frustration of going to the gym and wanting to eat healthy without having to meal prep on a Sunday evening or order well in advance from a meal prep company. I simply couldn't understand why meal prep wasn't available in my local supermarket. So I began my journey to create what would be the best tasting healthy meals available to you. I created four delicious macro-friendly meals that are bigger, more satisfying portions, are high in protein, made with non-refined carbs, provide you with two of your five a day and are sold at a price that doesn't break the bank. They are now available at selected as the stores nationwide. The Gym Kitchen isn't just a meals company. We are a company aiming to change the scope of healthy eating with more products launching soon. Follow our journey on Instagram at The Gym Kitchen or head over to our website, thegymkitchen.com. Hashtag food to fuel. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses have and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. From your perspective, what do you think councils and governments could 
do to bring change to support small businesses. Something I hope to do in the future is to help make it easier to have these wonderful small businesses on the high street because actually what we're talking about is the landlord saying Mm. yes or no and Mm. we've just Mm. had this beautiful print by um, Rob Ryan Mm. talking about um, the landlords and the greed of the landlords and and almost like that is the yes or no you're going to get but you know we've got to stop our you know you're in Carnaby Street but generally around the UK you know towns becoming clone towns and we need to inject more of that artisanal specialized expert feel into Mm. our towns and make them unique again um i'm really passionate about this because i think that from having run this for five years and watching really what happens in a shop and how and how actually it's so much beyond the transaction it's just not about the transaction anymore really if you want to buy something you're just going to go onto amazon because it's probably cheaper and it's just going to come to your door so i think that there is now a huge job and actually this is what a lot of the bigger retailers are struggling with it's like how do you get people out of bed and into your town or into your shop when it's that easy and I think that the way to do that is to essentially always always focus on the human and that's what people want they want the human experience so in here it's just sometimes just fills my heart with complete joy because I see this kind of I always see it as a triangle like customers coming in the staff behind the till you know chatting about their day chatting about where they've been in London the artist here as well who's connecting with them and giving them an experience and there's just it's a community it's not a shop it's a community and I think that if we can get back to that just as I know this isn't obviously what councils can do but but I really believe in that. And, I, and I, I, I think it's criminal that actually we're in this state, in this country, because we are a nation of shopkeepers. There are so many people, you just have to look on Instagram and online, who are making amazing things and they want to take it to people or they want to aggregate people's work and bring it like I have. And they can't do it for the simple reason that the rates are too high. My rates two years ago went up overnight by £45,000 I barely, barely had that money. Like, I, I, you know, we hung on, basically. The rates of the issue... Went- up by 45 overnight 000. when they did the review the tourists I hate the review. to think what your base level was <laughs> yes um so you know so ultimately there is also I think a problem with the fact that e-commerce there there are no rates to sell online there is no mm-hmm. tax online mm-hmm. for that I would be happy to pay a tax for my e-commerce sales in order that I can then you know mm-hmm. uh, lower mm-hmm. my rates in a physical space because those two things can then conjoin to make a much more sustainable mm-hmm. business so mm-hmm. I think absolutely rates have to be looked at immediately because the, the review was just shocking and it was shocking before to be honest mm-hmm. and I just think there need to be less red tape generally and landlords need some sort of maybe form of encouragement from the government as well to take on people in their empty uh, spaces Absolutely. and in, the, in those empty periods. It's as if know. I think that the council should have a sort of an amount of small independence that have to be in a town. They have to be governed by yeah, that. That's a actually, well, yeah. you know, yeah. so I think it'd be great to talk um, mm, further on mm, this because mm. I, I really, I really feel that this time is now, you know, we need to see the change. I just went to Hastings um, for my husband's birthday and there was this tiny area and I was talking to one of the shopkeepers and she said that 32 independents had popped up in the last year oh. because they cut yeah. the business rates yeah. for yeah. seven years. They've not paid business rates or yeah. very yeah. minimal. Yeah. And this street was unlike anywhere that I've been before. It was just truly wonderful. And if every high street in Britain felt like that, 
be amazing for house prices. Yep. Crime will come yep. down. Mm. Communities mm. will be built. Mm. People mm. live longer when they're mm. happier. Mm. That sense of coming together. Mm. So it's so much more, isn't it, than just a shopkeeper being on a high street. Yeah. It's about when if we want to build something in our country, we've got to start building our hometowns again or safeguarding hometowns yeah. to not turn to clone towns. Yeah. Yeah. So... Going back to your beautiful shop, you create such beautiful retail theatre here in collaboration with your artists that sell the goods in your shop. Every time I come back, it looks different. And I talk about this all the time and talk about Bill from Bill's and where he talked about retail theatre and that you are sort of on stage if you work within a shop Mm, and all these mm. sorts of things. Could you tell me a bit about this, the artists that you've collaborated with and how retail theatre is important to your business because I'm sitting literally amongst it and (laughs) I've got glitter everywhere I've got art everywhere I've got pigeons everywhere it's just amazing tell tell me about your philosophy yeah so so the first philosophy really is that we wanted to curate a store that really told a super inspiring and fresh story about London it's also a diverse story and it's one about our local eccentricities and you know you've talked about pigeons but we also are always looking to kind of celebrate the real Londoners and then I think some of the experiential things we do here we've really actually stumbled into we always wanted it to be a super experimental shop and you're always going to get that when you work with creatives because people are going to come to you constantly with ideas but there is just something so magical about some of the things that we've ended up creating and I'd love to say that I had this mega plan at the beginning but we really they really just have kind of organically grown so the first thing that happened was we were standing outside the first ever pop-up thinking oh this is a bit dull looking like how are we going to you know tart this up and I was thinking (laughs) oh I don't want to just make it you know turquoise and branded because that would be boring um because ultimately we just feel as a brand like we're guardians of a community we're not we're not actually even a brand brand in in that way so I just suddenly thought, oh, I can just offer this up to somebody to to, to paint and, and that would be great because we can film them and then, you know, that will help our marketing, their marketing, but they'll get to showcase their work on this amazing street. So we asked the landlord and they were totally fine with it because actually Carnaby back in the day was full of yeah. beautifully painted shops. And so we, yeah, I think the first person we had was Camille Wallala, who had just done the uh, amazing building in Old Street and she agreed to come down and do it. And that really has taken off. Now that's not something that's constant, but it's every sort of three months and that brings an artist an actual artist to a street and they paint it and they talk to customers and they and then we have lots of customers coming in saying I wanted to come and see it so that was our kind of first thing and then in store we've always just thought well we want to host workshops here we want to be able to offer in-store kind of experiences where people have come in and they they get to be painted by an artist like as a sort of a it was kind of the idea of turning around the caricature in Leicester Square which is not always that great um and getting an artist to do do a really beautiful like 20 minute watercolor of somebody and it's like you know it's tapping into that thing of people you know wanting a selfie out in London but actually having yourself paint and actually sitting with an artist for 20 minutes getting to know them understanding the city through their eyes you know it's not a lot of the time what we're selling in here is not really about the final product that they leave with. It's actually a souvenir of an experience here. Mm. So, um, and I've really, really understand now how important that is. I genuinely believe that the only way forward now for retail, and I know everyone's been talking about experience for years, but the problem is when you see it done in major high streets, it's not, there is a, a level of authenticity well, lacking. I mean, <laughs> when, you t- when you think back to it, when experience came along, experience mm. was an 
iPad that you could buy something mm. online when you were in the shop. And it was yeah. all based on tech. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so yes, the, yes, the, yes, this yes. idea of experience, mm-hmm. yep. what everyone actually missed is, of course, tech will 100% back us up. Mm. But the experience was a human thing. Yeah. It was never yeah. meant to be a digital thing. And, that's it's, and, exactly. and so that's where maybe we're in the second era of that when everyone's realised, ah, we're not in the minority report <laughs> no. when I walk into a shop and they recognise me. <laughs> By the way, that's all coming. Yeah. And I know Great. it is. Yeah. And, if, and, and, you know, we'll make it work. Yeah. But the thing is, it was a human. Yeah. It was human. And, and so if, that's... If the, I'm really honest here as well, what has come about is that... It, you know, artists are a really wonderful bunch of people in the main. Like, I've never really met a, a nasty artist. I've never, ever recruited anyone for this shop. People just walk in and say, I want to be part of this. And when you put all that together and you let customers come in and experience that, I realised what we're really doing is actually selling love. And I know that sounds a bit a bit cliched, but, but it really is that. And I think when you go into an independent store, it's not just here. Like, whenever I go into one you feel it you feel it straight away you can feel the hours that have gone in mm-hmm. you you know that you know I mean look I'm sitting here I'm noticing mm. all these details all this slight shoddiness I'm so in. so glad but, I'm not in my shop because but, I do the same exactly it's like you do but, do this sort actually, of scan don't you and you're like oh my gosh I can barely speak <laughs> oh I'm God. so obsessed that with that cobweb in that yeah. corner yes yeah. but people don't people will allow you that if they can see that there is a real human mm-hmm. behind a till that really is yes. invested and it doesn't have to be me although sometimes it is you know it's the team and they can see that they can feel it and I think that if you this is the problem with high street retail you walk I'm sorry to name any names but if you go into oh, one name of them names. well M&S for example yeah. is a place where people they have M&S in their hearts there is so much love that you want to pour into M&S it's an institution but you in go country, into the shops yeah. and you don't feel it because they haven't invested in any of their store mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and the people that work there are wonderful but also they can feel that lack of love mm-hmm. and investment mm-hmm. so then th- there is just a missing link and I think the you know even though we're on Carnaby here, I've been astounded by what a local actually feel we have in here mm. of locals coming in, but also tourists and the way that everyone's interacting is it's like we're, you know, like that feeling at a market. You end up mm. talking to people mm. because it's informal mm. and there's a... Well, we you know, badge and, Holly & Co, a community centre. Yeah, And I totally, feel like here is totally, a community. So it it's is. almost like independence yeah. and why the government should get behind it yeah. is because that's almost the role that they're playing. Yeah. Um, you've recently started using your basement as a gallery space. And as you said, it's mm. so interesting, not with the white walls. I mean, far from with the white walls. And I love that Dan Jameson came, uh, exhibited recently and Alice Tams and her... Pigeons of London exhibition described as a tribute to London's great icons through the medium of pigeons. I mean, obviously, (laughs) as someone that's obsessed, um, is that something you're planning to do more of? Because you were just telling me how ambitious you were with this Mm. and that idea of, you know, it's not like, well, a gallery said to you, you know, you don't need to do this. You, you, You can have an artist in for three months. You're like, why would I do that? Yeah, it doesn't feel right to us. Yeah, tell, yeah. Me, tell me about that because, you know, I, I think some light bulbs are going to be going off at this very moment. Mm. I, um, so in the, yeah, in the in the last couple of years, we just sort of learned that, as you say, like we, we just, you know, to, to set up, even to even run a store over two floors is, is quite a lot of work. And I just suddenly looked at it one day and I just thought this isn't really good enough. Like we've got, we're doing what we need to do on the, on the you know, ground floor. And really what we should be doing is giving up you know, this space to artists, offering it up to them so that they can come in and do their thing. And as soon as I did it, it's a little bit again, like, you know, sort of surrendering up to something and 
allowing allowing you know because you you do as a founder I think you want to control everything and people come with ideas and you're like oh, well is that going to work and every time I've ever just gone do you know what you just do it and and you you go with your creative vision like people again come in and they feel that they are feeling somebody's idea and somebody's love and somebody's passion and so and then I realized that actually that means half the energy has to go into the store which is also important for us in order to survive so so now we have this wonderful kind of collaborative experience with artists where yeah they come in and because there's so many creators that want to come and have this experience of being on Carnaby and and actually showing their work to this audience which is quite a unique audience I didn't want to limit the amount of people we could work with so yeah so when we joined when we came here six months ago I think I'd already had you know shows booked in from the previous store but then we added a load more in and then we realized we had 10 people showing before Christmas so anyway it's all gone a bit nuts but I think that again is the experiential quality and that's why you know if you walk into an M&S or one of these bigger stores every you know and everything is the same all of the time like I don't you know it's a really key part now of retail as well so it's just amazing that that works for us as a retail business but also the artists as well and it, we run events I was mentioning it to you and events are not easy to make money from nope. right um, nope. so with this idea and I think it's good to out that um, and be honest with this because yep. I think so many people oh you should run an event in your workshop (laughs) now as a you know an owner of a shop you say okay great you've got to staff it you've got to have you've got to have every all the electricity on you've got to provide food you've got to possibly pay for the person you know for us pay for the person to come in get the tickets sold etc etc by the end of all of it if you've made £10, you'd be doing well. Yes. And that's the real reality of it. Yeah. So then you've got to go, no, it is not about the making money part. It is about no. the experiential yeah. moment, the thing yeah. that brings this whole place to life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that what you're finding? Or have I just been really fucking it up for a while? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, this was quite a harsh reality because also we want to be a store that, and this is a line I'm always treading, which has been probably one of the hardest challenges actually, of trying to deal with a commercial rent here on Carnaby but essentially remain supportive of art and their creativity so you know my initial thing was right let's just pack a whole month full of workshops but ultimately that unfortunately doesn't make us money it makes money for the artists and that's great so we were able to do some but we actually couldn't develop that into a full program so in the end what we said was well if they take over the whole space that artist can then provide workshops in that space and there is still a a balance of revenue coming in from from the exhibition so no absolutely not it's it is one of the hardest things and actually in the end it's so important though for those things still to happen so that they you need to find we all need to find a way for them to to carry on it's interesting because I'm just picturing as you're speaking um, a jeweler running an event and I think that as if you are the founder Mm, and you are mm, running the event mm. and then going to upsell your jewelry at the end of it that is a worthwhile experience if you run a shop and you're going to bring people in do not think that that bit is going to make you any money because really it's the no. brand awareness, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. what they do yeah. then and they fill yeah. their shopping tro- um, trolley, shopping yeah. basket with a few things. Yeah. It's the brand awareness and it's the experience that you're bringing to them. Yeah, so it's not, you know, and that's just something I just wanted to mention because so yeah, many people just talk about events as if events oh, oh, I know. I know. I've been told of, so many times, why don't you just have a floor that just does constant events? And I'm like, like oh, it would, just wouldn't make any money. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> we 
We've teamed up with our friends at Three and all year we'll be working together to make dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer and who knows what will come true. With a Three Means business plan, I love that you can get up to £500 worth of benefits from their partners to help give your business a lift in those early days. Now over to a short story about those that dreamed big and flew. Arguably, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger have lived out every entrepreneur's dream. The founders of Instagram launched their idea on the App Store in October 2010. And by April 2012, Facebook announced it was acquiring the company for a deal valued at a billion dollars. But this simple dream was planted on a beach by Systrom's wife, Nicole, who really didn't want to take photos without a filter. And it was this aha moment that helped them to eliminate all other features to focus solely on photo sharing. Within a day of changing their focus, they had 25,000 downloads, crashing their servers. And within a month after launching, Instagram had grown to 1 million users. But what I love more than anything is that a walk on the beach can spark a dream that has literally changed the world. Don't forget to share your own business dream using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. To discover more about business plans, search Three Means Business. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. I think what's most powerful with small businesses in retail is their ability to be reactive when you were mm. walking me around and I was looking <laughs> at things and we were talking about the mood weren't we and yeah. when I was at Norton High Street it was one of the most exciting things because small businesses can be quick and oh, this is so what quick. I always say yeah, yeah. you're a chameleon you know mm. the ability mm. to be a mm. cheetah and a chameleon mm. all in one mm. reactive and big businesses cannot be reactive they have long lead times yep. they're manufacturing across the globe I remember one occasion at Notton High Street there, there was a day that the royal baby's name was announced George and one of our partners um Kushti for kids I think it was quickly made up a kid's t-shirt with I was George first <laughs> and I thought That's it was amazing. genius we yeah. put popped it on the homepage, yeah, and yeah, it, you know yeah, it blew up yeah and I love products like that when they're done beautifully and with thought and they're smart mm. Your Brexit mm. sick bags are an incredible example of this. Made they by never stop selling. <laughs> Lydia Leith, is that right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And you've got flea bag badges downstairs as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you can this, respond really. You can respond yeah. to what the mood is. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, that is the power, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But it's yeah. listening, isn't it's it? It's listening, the... but also I have to say, it's not us that then, it's actually the speed of this creative community. We are actually flooded with these ideas is in such a short space of time so we're so lucky in a way that you know it's the artists and designers that are really just on it they're on they're on the money they're on the money <laughs> we just got to buy it in yeah <laughs> um you've created this um gorgeous space and it's busy and successful and I know I know underneath all of it the pain that you have gone through <laughs> you're on this famous road Carnaby Street such a buzz you're right next to Liberty it's a creative area it's got to be the best place in London to have a shop dedicated to mm. tourism when I was researching 30 million tourists each year so, you know, you, you have this perfect location. You've got this online experience, haven't you? And your physical experience mm. of running this shop. Mm. 
tell me about the blend and how it works. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about bringing things to life. And I 100% think all brands should bring their products or their vision or their brand to life in some way. It could be a physical shop. It could be a pop-up. Mm. But having that connection... But then obviously the future is also online. Yeah, yeah. How do you merge it? So can I be completely honest? Yeah. We did not set up our website for the first three years of the business because Good, the be first, honest. yes, that's, that's let's exact, be honest. Let's be honest. This is what this whole podcast is about. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really up for, I'm really up for honesty because I think it's important to know. But, you know, we basically, the first two years of this brand, we were working with Carnaby on the basis that we were moving around quite a lot to different units when they were coming up, which meant that we were setting shops up and destroying them in a matter of sometimes as little as three months, which is a lot of work and actually in that time I knew from my days in startup digital land I knew what it took to set up a website and I know it's a whole different set of skills and I didn't want to do it badly so actually for the first couple of years we were we were taking orders via email where we were sort of you know doing mad things like sending invoices and then sending things out but anyway so then when we set it up obviously it's been a massive boost for us because people come in and they you know art is something you want to think about and then you buy online Mm -hmm. later or you've left the country and you've decided you still want something so I think it's for me it's a challenge because I don't know how to sell love on online I don't know um, in the same way as I find it as easy in here and I think that's something that everyone has to sort of remember equally I don't think everyone also expects that amount of love online it's more of a function you know is a, a functional thing especially if you've had an experience in the shop that then it's just a kind of a right I've now just got to pay for that and it, they'll send it to me so I think blend wise 90% of our revenue has always been through this shop and that ratio has probably got to be far more balanced out in the years to come but I would love and this is where I'm being honest I would love next year and this is our plan to to really develop the online and actually show a lot more of the brand through it and actually have sort of bring the community together online actually far more than we already have done. And what would you say the future is for you and We Built This City? What's your ambitions? So I am generally a very ambitious person and I've I now I've now remembered I've now remembered the third reason I called people oh, the yes. city. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that I didn't want to come up with a name like London loves or or, yeah. or basically specify it to one city. So my ambition from the very beginning was always to essentially help people to do the same in other cities, whether that's globally, whether that's around the UK, whether that's just actually what you were talking about, local high streets. I really now want to take the learnings of the last five years and push it on again. I'm going to be completely honest. I actually burnt out last year quite badly um, because of the physical, the physicality of shops mm-hmm. is, as you well mm-hmm. know, you know you're doing everything plus that shop so you know it really is um it's it's another level of of hard work and I did burn out and I did think god I don't know whether I can keep doing this but what does that burnout look like it is uh it was last summer and it was an inability to function actually for a couple of months and um my I just really felt very sad about everything and I didn't, I felt lost. I felt very confused. I probably felt the loneliest I've ever felt. And that was because we were in that old store where I'd taken on a very expensive lease and we'd become very squeezed and limited in everything that we were doing. And it wasn't, it basically wasn't the creative vision that I'd had for it in the beginning. And it didn't feel like there was any flow anymore. There wasn't any, you know, it was just, it was all about paying. It was just money. Yeah, exactly. And where where you have to just be commercial. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it is stamps, mm, doesn't it? On vision yeah. and dream yeah. and hope. And, yeah, yeah. you know, when you, you, and when you become properly scared, there's not, I always talk to people about, there's nothing more scary than money. You know, when, really when you, the, you know, so, and I feel that that's what small businesses and, you know, and I empathize mm, because mm. there's nothing that stops you in your tracks, stops creativity, stops flow yeah, yeah. than the panic mm, of mm. if I don't pay this bill, my dream mm. comes to an end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. What? And it's not just the dream, it's also all of the time and effort you've already put in. And, and responsibility is, you've got. And exactly, and paying everyone's wages. So yeah, so I did I did burn out and I actually, somebody basically forced me out of the country, which was the best thing that could have happened really, because it's the only time I actually get any perspective is once I've got on a plane somewhere. Um, so I was lucky enough to go off and um, and someone encouraged me to actually have a have a chat with the business um, in a slightly sort of meditative state and actually just say to it, like, what do you need? What do you, you know, because although your business is you and you are the, you know, you're the engine of it, it is also separate. And I feel like this idea has always had a life of its own. It, it was, it just, it came into being in this incredibly quick way. I felt like I've been chasing it up the road ever since, you know, like trying to hang on. <laughs> because it just wants to do all these things and all these people want to be part of it and, blah, 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 and all these people want you know a piece of it so you know I had a word and we, we had a chat and it basically said to me listen I need to be bigger I need to be able to do more I need more flow I need more people to be able to come through the door I mean you're, in our other store you're we holding me back almost. yeah you're basically holding me back and you're strangling this so um so what I did is I actually went back to our landlords and I I actually surrendered our lease on the other property and I have now gone back to a pop-up model. So we, this unit is not, I don't have a lease on this for 10 years. I don't know how long I have this unit for, but we really, really now know, I know that we need that flexibility. We need that freedom to move. You know, Carnaby is amazing and will always be here in some capacity, but also we need to also look beyond now. And so I think the future is ultimately whether or not it's, we built the city going to set shops up or whether we are able to aid people in doing that and take our experience now and our knowledge, because it is six years worth of it. And it's, there's a lot Very there valuable. and I really want to give it to people. That's kind of my next step. Plus obviously building online, but also so the other thing to mention is that we've actually built behind the scenes a really strong consultancy business. So we actually help hotels, restaurants to find work for their buildings or, or produce merchandise for them. We're working with Eurostar at the moment. We work with Battersea Power Station. Like we, we're basically oh, cool. quietly, we're quietly getting on with a lot of things and not really yeah. shouting about it. Yeah. So I probably need to shout about things a bit more next year. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think this thing isn't going away, and I, I probably need to take a bit of a break as well at this point for, mm. in order to push through for another five years, and that's something that nobody is ever ever going to tell you to go and do so no. you have to find a way I, I've realized now I having think, burnout I think you're, you know it's burnout it. I love the analogy you use I always use the analogy that it's a, a, um, a mother and a child mm. you can't contain them you know this is the thing you are yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you know yeah, I yeah, felt yeah, it yeah. about not yeah. on the high street I yeah. feel it about Holly and Co mm, I actually mm. think some of the best brands are that you're the caretaker oh, and totally. you've got to listen to yeah, it yeah. and then you've got to help yeah build a world that it exists in whatever that might mean you know whatever that might mean and I and again I I I'm very much about hard work and I can tell instantly that you're similar to myself 
But the thing is, is if we are the Duracell batteries of this business, mm. the thing is, is that you're damaging the business by damaging yourself. Yep, and so yep. it is about having those moments. And mm. so next year, mm. for instance, 100%, I'm going to try and work from home on a Friday mm. because I just even getting that sense of not having to be ready because you and I have to be public facing yep. as well, yep. which yep. actually yep. for a woman, it does take a lot. Yeah. Um, and as you get older, it takes a lot. But, you know, taking that moment mm, so mm. that you can delve into your thoughts, have yeah. the walk and the freedom yeah. of space in your mind. Yeah. You know, it's little things that we can do because yeah. having a break break, you know, is not really possible. But actually no, being able no. to build it into your diary is yeah. is a tonic that I hope, you know, that 2020 will give me. Yeah. We're coming to the end of the interview and I really, um, yeah, I hope to talk to you forevermore, by the way, oh, forevermore. Thanks, I use this analogy that running your own small business is like being on a roller coaster. Yeah. Here we're in Carnaby Street. It'd be a pretty cool roller coaster. <laughs> it's um, been a good one. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say your biggest low has been whilst running your business? It probably was that period of burnout. And it was, um, it was sort of also realising that potentially my ego had got the better of me a little bit in that decision to take on a lease. I think when you're thrust onto Carnaby, and I'm really aware most brands don't just start up in three weeks on Carnaby Street, so I I knew I had this privileged position, but I think I sort of, I want everything quite quickly and quite fast. And I looked around and said okay, I'm surrounded by all these big brands. Like I've got to just act like them. I've got to go down that route. And you get told a lot, you know, in startup land that it's all about, um, that you've got to, you know, push and drive and fight. And I think the lowest point was feeling that level of sort of being, being a bit lost, knowing that you're onto a really good thing, but just not quite knowing how to navigate it. And I remember somebody sending me a document and it said it was about conscious leadership. And I actually took on a coach at that point. And I just, I was on a train going to see our accountant and I read this word in, in the document and I had this really strange physical reaction where I read the word surrender and I had this 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 whole feeling in my body just sort of like I just went oh and I was just like I'm not gonna fight anymore I just I'm just resisting things and I'm not listening in I'm just like "Eh, push 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 going mad trying to sort of build this thing up to as big a thing as I thought it could be and I realized that actually now you know in, in that low the learning was is that I've never written a business plan and actually all I can do every day is, as you say, be the guardian of this, listen out for the best opportunities, you know, that I think are coming for it. Keep listening to artists, keep listening to what they want, how we can best support them and just really strive on in that manner because I don't actually think that all the things they teach you, you know, about business, I've just found are not really true. Like it's actually about just listening to your gut every day. If, you know, if someone comes to an opportunity but you don't really feel it, it's probably not right. 99% of the time it's not right. That's been my biggest, that's been my biggest learning from the low anyway, just to trust the gut and because it's the best yeah it's the best radar the I think out compass. there yeah I, yeah I but agree. lots of people will say but don't do that because it's the spreadsheets that doesn't make sense on the paper you know it's a, that, that doesn't make sense on the spreadsheet but, it's, but, but, but also it's this thing of saying you know everyone has a gut feel I talk about it as the internal compass of any business leader mm. it's what makes leaders and entrepreneurs phenomenal if they have a complete yeah. trust in that mm. feeling mm. that mm. is not to say that mm. you can't do an Excel spreadsheet and also do great numbers oh no right? not at all in a way your gut will be in the numbers will be in the numbers it exactly. will be in 
the numbers. Yeah, and yeah. so it's like people talk about it that they're in conflict. Yeah. Actually, the best P&Ls will be ones filled with vision and gut and mm, all mm, those sorts of things. Mm. And then you commercialize it. Yeah, Tell yeah. me conversely, what's been the best moment the best moment um I think it was the very first shop to be honest because that's when all of that creative vision was pouring out of me and I remember someone saying to me the day before they said listen until you get those doors open you don't know whether people actually want a better souvenir so you better you know you better cross your fingers and I remember we opened the doors and the first person that came up to the till said um oh um do you have any other stores in in London you know and it was just like and we were in this like <laughs> pop-up shop with these like trestle tables and everything was a bit you you know everything's made of MDF so I think there was like a and that Christmas actually in eight weeks we sold 30,000 London souvenirs and you know and we really made some decent money for some artists so I think that was that was the biggest high and that's really the thing that I that I go back to all the time especially when it gets difficult is that you know it was from the minute we opened it was something that I think people wanted and they wanted to come in and be part of across the board not just customers but artists as well so that's yeah that's the driving force still that's the thing keeping me going and could you tell me um someone who you've been inspired by someone who possibly I could interview on this podcast Mm. I actually think uh I don't know whether you have interviewed her actually but there's an artist I'd like to say an artist because I don't think artists always get the 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 most publicity but I don't know whether you've ever have you met Rebecca Strixon who created your Rebels Get Results Supreme I have not met (laughs) her and yet she yeah yet she created our campaign artwork she's I I chat to her but I've not physically met her yeah you must meet her because Rebecca to me she's an artist that is so passionate about what she's doing but she's got so much um she's just got so much dignity and everything that she does and she produces work about her, her absolute true beliefs about the world and how the world needs to be and I think she just produces beautiful beautiful work and really empowering work for women as well and I think she's just quietly getting on with it and should have uh, should have her moment actually in the sun what and a good um, recommendation yeah, yeah. What love you Rebecca recomm- oh yeah. <laughs> thank you so much Alice I know your advice is going to spur hopefully a new generation of shopkeeper on those small businesses that have been you know thinking about taking the leap and you know we're um this podcast is going out in the new year and so I'm very hopeful that this is going to kick off um, some wonderful shops what you're doing is genius you're officially the pioneer of the souvenir reviving an industry that hasn't moved on in forever Mm. so huge congratulations I foresee we built the city in every UK city Brighton Edinburgh Manchester I see it all over the world it's just phenomenal and anything I can do to help you do that I I I just also want to say thank you to you because um not only were you a massive inspiration at not on the high street and I read your book just before I took on this uh this crazy endeavor but also your work recently about um supporting independent businesses and shops is just uh, you know the, the the support you've shown me without even meeting me before is amazing so oh, you you I know you're tirelessly you. working at that and I, I think there's you. never been a more important time to be doing that as well so thank you so much and thank you for having me on this yeah, oh, yeah. thank you well on that moment I feel teary before you even start but um I've asked you to jot down a note to your younger self um yes and 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 I did say to you as soon as you got here I'm a bit of a crier so I probably will cry at some point funny enough anyone that's listened to this podcast also knows I'm a bit of a crier so there we go another thing we've got in common thank you over to you okay so dear younger Alice younger me 
I know right now you're sitting in a classroom in leafy Surbiton, tuning out of yet another lesson to dream instead about what might be beyond, desperately wishing you could be older and freer to go and make your mark on the world. I know you feel constantly uncomfortable at being in a place that puts you in the same dull clothes every day, boxes you into airless grey rooms and tells you that success is a series of exam grades and tick boxes. And right now you're not really ticking many of them. Please at this point know the following. The fire that rages in your belly right now is greater and is going to take you further than any exam grade ever will. That your energy and enthusiasm for life will always ensure you're seen beyond the school gates. That you hacking away in your free time at channeling your creativity, writing that school play, dreaming up a school talent show, leading the Young Enterprise Business Group, setting up shop in your garden, selling your mum's old pans and bottles of rose water. Yes, I did that. Um, Will give you the founding elements of your future beyond any experience the classroom can give. When you leave education, you're going to have to learn fast how to work in the unknown. FYI, they do not prepare you for this and it's bloody scary. Lots of people will tell you to take safe jobs, secure salaries, but all that really matters is that you're listening into your heart for what's inside, believing fully in your ability to bring your creative visions to life and ultimately learning how best you can be of service to the world. This is where the magic really lies. You will also soon start to realise that after years of being taught facts, figures, rational constructs, that really the best navigational tool you have for life is how you feel about it. So make sure you find a way to switch off that mind that's constantly running at 100 miles an hour and find your own ways to listen instead to your gut and your intuition. It's the greatest and only radar you have to navigate this wonderful but at times rather confusing world. One day you will find the whisper of setting up a business turns into a very loud scream and that you can no longer ignore it. Life will be moving much faster than it is right now and you will be told that the only way to succeed in business is to work backbreakingly long hours, push, drive, fight and see off the competition. You will operate like this for a while and work harder than you ever thought possible before you realise that the opposite is actually true. That it's only when you stop pushing and fighting and resisting and surrender yourself up to life instead, using your heart, not your head, that you'll truly create something that resonates with the world and brings you full happiness. On that note, my last piece of advice is that in all of your drive to build big visions and bring communities together, that you do not die. You are the engine of your business, but also your world, and that engine needs constant fuel. Your friends and family will still need you, your body will still need nourishment, and your soul will always need time to recuperate and dream up the next big vision. So give yourself permission for this above all else. Keep going, and I'll see you on the other side. Don't die. That's it. I just. I don't know if I've ever met anyone like you. Oh really? Yeah. I just think you are just. I I look at. Um, I see myself in you. You are a burning, burning fire of amazingness, oh, and thank you. I um, know what you mean. Don't die. Yeah, you know and. Yeah. Do look after yourself because I yeah. think your future is so bright and we oh, need people you. like you on this world. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for Lots of love. <laughs> Before you go, here's a little more about Backer Business. Last year, NatWest's CEO, Alison Rose, wrote the Rose Review and discovered that if women launched and scaled businesses at the same rate as men, it would represent an untapped £250 billion opportunity for the UK economy. Isn't that unbelievable? So they created Backer Business, managed by Crowdfunder. This programme will match fund up to a million pounds a year, creating hundreds of successful applicants when they crowdfund through Backer Business. To find out more information, search NatWest Backer Business. 
And if you've enjoyed this conversation, if it has helped you along your own journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing this episode and podcast? Your support means the world and it really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come